John Donne, uh, famous for his 16th century poetry, said this about prayer in a sermon. Prayer has the nature of violence. In the public prayers of the congregation, we besiege God. We take God prisoner and bring God to our conditions. And God is glad to be constrained by us in that siege. Over the last few weeks, we've been learning from Jesus about praying in this Lord's Prayer. He's been teaching us to pray, to pray impudently and persistently to our Heavenly Father, who loves it when we pray to him. And we've learned from Father Caleb's uh, sermons that the primary purpose of prayer is to spend time with the Father, to be present to him, to adore him, and to ask of him what we need, and to petition to him on behalf of the world. And we do this not because we want to try to manipulate God, but because God loves it when we pray and spend time with him, when we admit that we need him, when we are dependent upon him. And these last three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, that dependence fleshes itself out in, in three ways. When we pray these petitions, God draws us up in prayer as we receive his provision and his pardon and his protection. And at the same time, we are turned outward towards others to ask God to provide, to pardon, and to protect. In, in other words, there's a vertical dimension to these prayers and a horizontal dimension. The vertical dimension being between us and God, and the horizontal dimension between, being between us and others. And we'll look at these three petitions in light of, of this vertical and horizontal dimension. But before we do, we must take a step back and, and realize what we're entering into when we pray. Father Caleb said last week towards the end of his sermon that when we pray, we enter into combat against death, sin, and the devil. Friends, the enemy wants to do anything he can to prevent us from praying. One of the ways that happens is by telling us lies or convincing us things about prayer. And I want to offer three brief lies that, that the evil one tries to keep us from praying with. First, the, the first lie, uh, and I think that this is a, a fairly pervasive one in our society and probably in many of our hearts. That God is an angry and miserly God. That's a lie. Simple, and tr simple as that. God, in fact, is the Father. And, is the eternal, and he is eternal and holy love. You know, we talk about Jesus Christ being love, and sometimes we struggle to say that God the Father is love. But that is just as true. He loves you. He loves you. Before you, were a, before you were a Christian. He loves you now with an infinite and eternal love. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you so we can have unending and joyful communion with him. Friends, consider what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The second lie that Satan convinces us to try to stop praying is, is that, that prayer is for anyone. 
especially the Lord's Prayer is for anyone. We can just pray it. I, I, oftentimes, it's easy to sort of think of the Our Father being some sort of just prayer that, that because we're human beings and God is the creator, we can all just pray this prayer. No, in fact, that's not true. We need, we need to be careful with this, friends. This prayer is actually a family prayer. To be able to say, Abba, Father, to say, Our Father, you have to know the one he is a father to primarily, and that is Jesus Christ. You can't pray this prayer unless you know Jesus. Satan would love it to keep you from knowing Jesus. God the Father is love, but his love has to be understood and known through Jesus Christ. Finally, the third prayer is one that sort of buys into the lie that, that life is about me and what I need. And this prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer confronts this in a very important but small way. It says us rather than me. Not my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not my needs. It's us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. This is a prayer we pray both on our behalf, on the church's behalf, and a prayer for the whole world. So as we progress, friends, remember that God is infinitely loving and personal, that this is a family prayer, and we pray on behalf of the whole world. So let's turn now to these three petitions and consider the vertical and horizontal dimensions of them. So first we pray, give us this day our daily bread, a pretty simple prayer, but one with amazing and deep realities in such few words. The fact of what's being confronted here, what confronts me when I pray this prayer, what confronts you, is that I am not in charge of my life. That everything I have and everything you have and everything in the world is from God. When we say, give us this day our daily prayer, we are saying to God, I need you. I need you to provide. We need you to provide. And we see in scripture that God provides both for the good and the evil. I think it's important for us to, to realize that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are praying for the whole world. Friends, when we pray for daily bread, we are simultaneously confessing that we need God for everything and that he is the only one who can, can fulfill our needs and desires. There's a fairly famous story about a, uh, a uh, British pastor in, uh, in England called uh, George Mueller. I remember growing up and hearing the story and being quite amazed. And George Mueller uh, ran an orphanage, and one morning 300 children sat down for breakfast, and, and the house mother came to George and said, George, we don't have any food. And George sat down, and... Everybody gathered, and they prayed. And as they were praying, someone came and knocked on the door, and he said, Mr. Mueller, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Okay, cool, bread. Yeah, all right. Soon there was another knock at the door, and it was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled at the milkman, brought it in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. Friends, this is the kind of God that we worship. This is the kind of God that we pray to when we say, give us this day our daily bread. And what would it look like if we prayed like that? If the church prayed like that? I think it's a question worth pondering. 
to trust in our good father that much, that he would provide for everything we need. That is the witness of Christianity. That is the witness of Christ in our lives. And that's the vertical dimension of this prayer. God, please provide for our daily needs, and he does. And then there's the horizontal dimension of this prayer. Because when we pray this prayer, we do pray it for ourselves and others. And God oftentimes provides for the world through the normal human means of society. One commentator said that when we pray for bread, we are praying at the same time for money, for jobs, for government, for business, for labor, good crops, good weather, roads, justice, and for everything economic, political, and societal. What a big prayer. What a simple prayer. Friends, this is a petition for the needs and flourishing of, the human, of human life and society. And this should convict us in two ways, at least. First, we should be convicted to be more thankful and content with what we have. Praying for our daily means reminds us, needs reminds us that God has given us what we need, and we can be content in that, and we can ask for what we need. Second, we should be convicted about our lack of care for those in need. Another commentator suggests that this petition should stick in the throats of Christians when it's prayed. It reminds us of the wretched of the earth. This prayer can offend some of our sensibilities because it crosses borders. It crosses racial lines and sexual orientation lines and social economic barriers and nationalities. Remember, friends, when we pray, we pray for the good and the evil, that God would bless them. We pray for our enemies. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread. This prayer should ask us, how can I care for the poor, the needy, the refugee, and the outcast? Our good and generous Father provides and takes care of us. And in the next petition, we learn that he, we pray that he would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So in a rabbinic tradition, in Jesus' time, there was an understanding of debts and righteousness that I find helpful in understanding where this prayer fits into the Christian life. Now the rabbis thought that thought of righteousness, righteous acts as a bridge to God, and his debts as a gap. So imagine, you know, God here, you here, you build your righteous deeds, you're getting closer to God, but then there's subtraction as you, you know, sin more. The more debts of sin you accrue, the bigger the gap. How often do we think about sin this way? Now, if you're a good, if you, you grew up in the 90s, maybe even a little earlier, you would probably recognize that image. You got God over here, us over here, sin here, you know, death, separated. Does this image ring a bell for anybody? It did for me. I grew up with this image. And what happens when you believe in Jesus is that a big cross falls across and you can go hang out with God. Awesome, right? Really good news. The thing that really bothered me when I was growing up as a Christian, and maybe, this, maybe you've thought about this in, in one way or another, is what happens when I sin? Does, is there a gap? Because we talk about being separated from God when sin separates you from God. So is there a gap even after, even after I've become a Christian? How do I stay in union with God when I sin? And our prayer, pardon, the prayer for pardon today, actually answers this question. Because in Christianity, there are two types of forgiveness. 
The first kind of is the total forgiveness of, of what we call justification. When we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, this forgiveness closes the gap. Br- the bridge is made. Jesus Christ unites us to God in Christ and himself. And we can't be separated. We heard in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. At the beginning of Romans 8, it says that, that there's nothing that can condemn us. It's done. It's an objective reality that you are with Jesus Christ when you have given yourself, your life to him. One of my, uh, a, a theologian that I've come to enjoy, John Owen, calls this union with God in Christ. It's an objective thing. Okay, that's great. So that's the bridge, creating the bridge. But, but what happens when I sin? Now, this is the second kind of forgiveness, and that's the kind of forgiveness we're asking for in this prayer. It's part in day-to-day, it's part in the day-to-day growth, as we, day-to-day as we grow closer to God. We sin day-to-day, that can cloud and interfere with our communion with God, but we are never separated from God. This growth and sanctification is what, God, what John Owen calls growing in communion with God in Christ. So you have union that's objective, and you have communion which, is, which you can grow or slacken in. And this is the vertical reality that we're praying when we pray this prayer. God freely and lovingly forgives us as we grow in communion with him. That's the life of sanctification. My friends, because Christians are in Jesus Christ, we can go to the Father and simply ask him to erase, erase our debt. And he does. Because we're his children. This is an audacious prayer. A prayer of the children of the Father. Imagine that. Imagine going to a creditor, going to someone you owe a lot of money to, and just saying, would you please forgive it? That's the kind of father that Christians, when they're united to Christ, worship and ask from. Friends, this, this, this prayer is slotted in the middle of, the Lord, of these three petitions because it's foundational to our life in Christ. You can't, like I said at the beginning, it's a family prayer. You can't pray this prayer of pardon if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior and God as Father. And the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us growing us in communion through this prayer. But then there's that awkward second half of the petition. It's hard to understand sometimes. And what, what is going on there is actually the horizontal dimension of this prayer. The fact of the matter is that if you've been forgiven such an insurmountable debt, a debt beyond all understanding, how else, what else should you do? What else can you do but forgive others? How can we hold back forgiveness when we've been forgiven so much? As Christians, we are filled with the love of God and the Holy Spirit to do just that, to be a sign of God's forgiveness in the world by forgiving others in the day-to-day stuff of life. Friends, what would this forgiveness look like? As I was preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of the story uh, of Corey Ten Boom. I'm sure you've all heard a version of this story um, she was a prisoner of war or in, during World War II and, and horribly had terrible uh, experiences. Her sister died in a prison camp, and um, she was a Christian through all of that. And l- years later, she was at a conference talking, and an older man came up to him and came up to her and said, I, I was a guard at that prisoner of war camp you were in. 
and I'm a Christian now. And I know that God's forgiven me, but I ask you to forgive me. The way she tells the story, you can read it online. Um, she says that she, she knew she needed to, but she didn't feel it, understandably. But she said, I forgive you. And when she did, the love of God for that man poured into her heart. And he, she felt that forgiveness for him. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the audacious forgiveness of God our Father that we are called to share with others. Now, I can hear objections. I hear them a lot in my own head. This isn't practical. <laughs> this isn't how the world works. If you always forgive, you'll be taken advantage of, right? Right, yeah. You're right. This isn't practical. Neither was Jesus. And you're absolutely right. This is not how the world works. This is how God's kingdom works. This is the economy of God's kingdom. And it turns everything upside down. Or might, you might say right side up. And we might be taken advantage of, yes, absolutely. But friends, how often do we take advantage of God? And I say all of this with one caveat that I think is important for us to note, that forgiveness in a, in a relationship that is abusive can actually play into more abuse. And I preach this very carefully because I don't want you to think that if you're an abusive, in an abusive relationship or an abuser, that this gives you the ability to continue to abuse and be abused. This, that is not what this is about. If that is the case, if you do find yourself in that situation, come talk to me. Come talk to, to, to Caleb or even my wife. Um, this is, that is not what this is about. There's freedom from abuse. Friends, we are called to be the sign of Christ's forgiveness in the world. Because this world is dark. This world is a place, a battleground of cosmic forces. As C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And this brings us to our final petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in this petition, we are asking for protection in the battle against sin, evil, and the evil one. And that's the vertical dimension of this prayer. God protect us. Now this word we translate as temptation can mean both trial and temptation, and it's important to just say it right up front. God doesn't tempt you if you think he does. It's just not what's going on. It's a lie. However, as, as God does use trials and temptations to train us up in godliness. James, the brother of Jesus, made this point the beginning of his epistle. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God, in his love and providence, uses the daily trials and temptations to grow and sanctify us. 
Now, friends, that doesn't mean we need to go asking or seeking out temptation or trial. Please don't do that. (laughs) You don't need to put yourself in a situation where you might be tempted. Be wise. Christian life has enough temptation. (laughs) But when they do come, don't flee the trials. Flee the temptations. Do not flee the trials. Because they are there to shape and guide you, shape you in becoming more like Jesus Christ. Paul uses the image of training for a fight or a race for the Christian life. As Christians, we are training to fight evil, to grow in communion with God and spread the kingdom abroad. God uses our daily life to train us for his kingdom work. So, think about it. When you work out or you're trying to get better at something or gain an expertise in an area of knowledge, it takes effort and discipline and perseverance and sometimes some pain. If you ever come and see Caleb on, mon- on Monday mornings, you see him in, in pain because of his leg workout that he just did. We don't grow when we're comfortable. And so similarly in the Christian life, we must trust God and exert holy effort to grow in holiness. And this happens primarily through prayer and disciplines in times of trial. So friends, when we pray this prayer, we are praying that God would protect us from being overwhelmed by temptations and trials and that he would use them to make us more like him. So we must be vigilant. We must guard our hearts. We must consistently seek his presence and pray that he would bring us through the trial. As Father Caleb said last week, we just can't trust ourselves. We must trust Christ. We must watch and pray. And this brings us to the second half of this petition. Because behind temptation, there are real evil powers and authorities at war with God and his kingdom. Paul says it well in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We pray that God would deliver, in the Greek it literally means snatch us away from evil. And friends, friends, when we pray this prayer, we are not only praying it for ourselves, but for others. We are praying that God would deliver others from evil as well. And this is the horizontal dimension of this petition. We are called to wage war against the evil one, not abstractly, but in our daily lives, in the lives of those around us. And we do this primarily through prayer and intercession. Our ancient church parents audaciously believed that the world is held together by the prayers and the prayers of the Lord's Prayer. And that, and that the earth is upheld by the company of those who in good faith pray this simple prayer. Friends, that is intercession. And I know for a lot of us in our world, it is pretty, pretty hard to believe that there is a spiritual war. I think C.S. Lewis screw tape letter says that that's one of Satan's first things is to get us to believe that he doesn't exist. Yeah, that's hard to believe in that, in our world that's been so naturalized, lacks so much transcendence. But, friends, if you can believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, which, if you're a Christian, that's what you believe, then we can at least, we can start thinking and realizing that there are other spiritual forces at work in this world. And friends, we are called to put our hands together and pray and intercede and fight in this spiritual battle for ourselves and for those who are in spiritual bondage and addiction and oppression. And we pray 
that those, for those who do not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So the question we have to ask is, how do we join in this prayer and the whole of the Lord's Prayer? Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I said that the Lord's Prayer is a family prayer. It is a prayer that you can only really pray if you already know the Father, and you can only really know the Father if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So friends, I ask today, have you encountered Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted that he took your death, your sin, your shame, your guilt, and died in your place on your behalf? If you want to experience the amazing, gracious, forgiving love of the Father, there is only one way. By committing yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I say to you, don't delay. There is a world of love and joy and peace in Christ and in the arms of the Father. I also imagine that for many of you, perhaps the sermon has been a little old hat. You've been around the block a few times, you've prayed a lot, and maybe this is a little old news to you. Now perhaps, and I know this to be true, that there are some people here with pretty epic prayer lives. Maybe you're a little burned out and tired of praying or just burned out in general. Maybe you've not really prayed much at all. Wherever you find yourself, let me encourage you that the Son and the Spirit are with you and in you, praying for you and in you and with you. Friends, the God of the universe prays for you. Scripture says that the Spirit prays in us with groans beyond words, that Christ intercedes for us and in us. Early church father Irenaeus had this image of God's hands, his Holy Spirit, and his Christ gathering us up in prayer. That is the God we worship. That is the God who we pray to and who prays for us. When you grow tired in praying, don't quit. Remember that. Remember that God prays for you, that, they, that God is interceding for you and in you and with you. And he's inviting you to join in. Prayer is a discipline, but it is a discipline that God gives us the grace to do because he loves it when we pray and we, when we spend time with him. He loves it when we are with him. So friends, in this sermon, we've seen that God the Father provides, pardons, and protects, and because he does, we are called to pray for provision, pardon, and protection for ourselves and on behalf of the world. This is a great perhaps the greatest honor and responsibility, to pray earnestly. Let's again hear the words of John Donne. Prayer has the nature of violence in the public prayers of the heap congregation. Friends, that's, by the way, he's an Anglican, so that means what we're about to do in a few minutes. In the public prayers of the congregation, we besiege God, and we take God prisoner and bring God to our condition, and God is glad to be constrained by us in that siege. So how do we do this? Well, we pray earnestly and fervently during our prayers of the people. But friends, I, I, I suggest to you today that, that the way that this really seeps into our lives is if we, we learn to seek and practice and know the presence of God in our moment-by-moment, day-by-day life. And friends, I've been seeking this discipline for a long time, and it's hard. 
It takes a lot of work and effort, but it is so worth it. And uh, Pastor Max Lucado offers four different times in your day where you can sort of practice this, knowing that God is with you and in you and praying for you and with you. He says, give God your waking thoughts. First thing you do, wake up, spend some time adoring God. One or two sentences. Ask him to walk with you in that day. Give God your waiting thoughts. Find times to be still and know that he is God. Ask for your daily needs. Thank him for what he's given you. Give God your whispering thoughts. Brief sentences of prayer. I use these times for intercession for others. When someone pops in your mind, don't don't just think about it, pray for them. Pray for those who are struggling with temptation and spiritual warfare in your day-to-day life. Finally, give God your waning thoughts. This is a good time for confession, for examining your life and asking God to help you to grow in holiness and love. Secondly, friends, I want to invite, uh, invite you all to, um, to what we're going to be doing in a few weeks, called something called the prayer course. The prayer course is, uh, was, is put on by a pastor out of England, a guy named Pete Gregg. It's a six-week course on prayer. And what we're going to do as Emmanuel Anglican Church on Wednesday nights starting August 15th is we're going to learn to pray together. We're going to uh, go through six weeks of, pr- of this course. It's videos plus discussion. And then we're going to practice for seven weeks what we learned. And then we're going to do it again in the, fall, in the spring. Because my goal, my hairy, audacious goal, <laughs> is to get everyone in our church to go through this course. Because friends, if we want to continue to be the church that God called us to be, we begin and end in prayer. Our goal is to make prayer a deeply ingrained habit of every single person here at Emmanuel and to seek God's presence together. So friends, I, I invite you, I, I really encourage you to go to this course. It's free. It doesn't cost any of us, including the church, a thing. Um, and so let's take this privilege of prayer, the privilege of the presence of the Father, the privilege to intercede on behalf of ourselves and the world, with due seriousness. Jesus teaches us to pray. He is praying for us and in us. God loves it when we spend time with him. So let us pray. Let us besiege our good father with prayer and let us see how God will change the world and us. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you never give up on us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you you invite us into your family and that you pray that the Son and the Spirit prays for us and with us and in us. Thank you for this opportunity to ask for what we need, to depend on you, to ask for pardon, to fight and intercede in this spiritual war. Lord, have mercy, give us your grace, and teach us to pray. And we say this all in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.